Welcome to Mimir's Well, an otherworldly oracle exclusive podcast. We are your hosts, Alora and Kitty. And to kick things off in our very first episode, we aren't holding anything back. We're diving into the controversial topic of closed versus open practices. What are they? How do you know if you're out of line? And the overuse and abuse of the closed practice terminology in the online spiritual community. So grab your cuppa and get ready to drink from the well. Hey, Laura. What's up? What's up? So uh, this one is going to be fun, I feel like. Yeah, and I feel like this format of this podcast is a little bit different because usually we're education focused. And I think with Mimir as well, we're going to be a little bit more opinion focused. So it's going to be nice. Yes. And for those who aren't aware, Laura already said that we're not going to hold anything back. So we're not going to hold anything back. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Everything expressed in these podcasts are our personal opinions. Right. Um, so yeah, we are not claiming to speak for a majority of anyone or nope. for a group. Like, no, nope. this is our own, our own perspectives on things. Yep. And which is, we try to stay away from that in, in the other podcasts, but so that's what this is all about. So we should dive in and let's get to it. Let's get to it. What is a closed practice exactly, Alora? And how do we know when we're crossing a line we should not cross? All right. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Answer this one. <laughs> um so in my opinion, a closed practice is a practice that is generally obtained through inheritance, invitation, and or initiation, right? So it's something that is passed down in one way, shape, or form. Uh, knowing when we're crossing a line is tough, especially for the knowledge thirsty, right? So if you're just getting into your practice, you're like, oh, I want to know everything. Mm-hmm. So the largest issue that I've seen with closed versus open practices are the people who are screaming the loudest have zero to do with said closed practice yeah. or are, <laughs> well, it's true, or are using the term to inflate their own sense of self as a gatekeeper rather than to safeguard the practice from mass consumption or appropriation. So what I mean by that is like- percent, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So what I mean by that is typically the person that is, um, screaming about, you know, you shouldn't be practicing this or that because it's a closed practice has no cultural ties to that practice is mm-hmm. not involved in that practice. Doesn't have anything to do with that practice. Yeah. They just want to be like the, I, and I hate to say this, but they just want the attention. Yeah. Right. It's a, it's a, it's totally a, a self-righteous, ego boost (laughs) ego trip for sure and um 
being an ally for protecting practices doesn't mean speaking for, but generally it's moving out of the way for others to speak for themselves. Mm -hmm. Right. Like people are, you know, people are grown ass people. (laughs) They will say what they want to (laughs) say. Right. It, it's, mm, we're going to get in all this, but it's one of those things that frustrates me so bad. And I, and I think we probably have some listeners who, who are like taking shots at this point already. <laughs> probably. <laughs> uh, so if someone from a, a culture were to call me out for appropriating a specific practice and could point me to reasons why it was wrong and this particular practice solely belonged to that culture, I would step back in a heartbeat. Yeah. However, I feel like lots of practices, tools, terms are claimed as being culturally specific when in fact they aren't specific to a particular culture, culture at all. Instead, they have a very long and complicated history that crosses time and cultures and practices and the globe essentially. Yes. And, and- I think a big part of this is that someone hears from someone else that this is a closed practice or, you know, that this term shouldn't be used, et cetera, et cetera. And they just regurgitate it without actually doing any actual research on where that term comes from, you know, the culture that it might come from, what is the history of that term, you know, it, 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 Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Uh, okay. <laughs> so uh, now we're going to talk about the overuse and abuse of the closed practice terminology that is super rampant online. My opinion, I feel like this is a huge monstrous problem lately because a lot of people are online. They're telling everyone else what they can or cannot do based on that other person's assumed race or heritage or ethnicity or whatever you want to call it. The problem with this is how do you know the person that you're lecturing is in fact not a part of that race or tradition that you're telling them to stay away from? You cannot judge someone based on their picture, their race, or what you perceive is their cultural heritage. You just can't it's infuriating for me to see people do this, you know? Right. Exactly. I don't ever tell someone what they can or cannot do based on this. I'm never going to tell someone online who asks about, you know, whatever kind of Slavic practices or something. I'm never going to be like, assume that they're not of Slavic origin and tell them, I'm sorry, you should probably, you know, be Slavic in order to answer these questions. I don't know where they come from. You know, I don't, I can't judge them based on their race and their name. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Exactly. And I actually have real world examples of this. So (laughs) one of my witchy friends is Native American, Indian, whichever term you prefer, First Nations people, indigenous. And he has been told numerous times to take down, um, his YouTube videos because he's too white to be native or Indian. I've also had another (laughs) witchy friend of mine who is absolutely born and raised in Brazil. 
And she has been told she is too white to speak about her own hereditary practices, which are of African diasporic um, mm-hmm. magic and witchcraft. <laughs> but because her skin is too light. Mm-hmm. Um, and from- I, hold, hold on. I got to stop you there. Because... <laughs> And we get fired up. Get, all right. Because, but because people, it, it is, it is people assuming that, you know, based on skin color or race, that these people shouldn't be practicing or even asking about these things. You don't know if that person grew up in a country, you know, where right. everyone around them was practicing these things, or, you know, you don't know if their mother is, is, a, you know, of this race or heritage or whatever. You cannot judge someone based off of their color of their skin either way you know anyway any shade race whatever it's bs (laughs) right exactly absolutely and another point i want to make is for me personally i consider my pops my stepdad as a huge part of my life and Mm -hmm. therefore i honor his ancestors as mine and he is in large part, Native American Indian. And I am as white as the driven snow. (laughs) (laughs) But I do not believe that my respect for my pop's culture and heritage makes me a cultural appropriator or disrespectful of closed practice Mm -hmm. because that's part of my ancestry, right? Because he has poured his time and love and affection and attention into me, into raising me into the woman I am. And therefore he came from those ancestors. You know what I mean? Like that's that's how it works. Right. So all of that said, this is the kind of bullshit that just needs to stop. The assumptions just make, you know, and well, as I was always told, assumptions make an ass out of you and me. So for sure. Yeah. I, I mean, I've seen people and, and you're right. And, and when you said that, it's always people that's not even of that closed practice lecturing others on, you know, not asking about that closed practice. Right. <laughs> I, like recently I saw somebody online ask about Buddhism and someone else said, well, you should really talk to someone, you know, people of color about that tradition or about that religion. And the original poster, the person who originally posted it was like, yeah, I'm from an Asian family. (laughs) Good Lord. Thanks. You know, like, because that person judged and thought that, you know, maybe she was white or whatever she thought without understanding that that woman's background you know how how (laughs) like i would be so pissed off if someone did that to me but anyway (sighs) so (laughs) why do you think that people i mean we kind of talked about it a little bit but what do you think the main reason that people abuse the closed practice terminology I mean, I truly believe, (laughs) I think it's an ego trip. I really do for the most part. Now, if you're coming from that closed practice, you're, you know, that's a different story. That is a totally different story. And I've actually had a woman message me and talk to me about some terminology that I was using. And, you know, she was from this particular 
closed practice and this is why you know that I shouldn't be using the terminology because such and such and I self-reflected on that and I stopped using the terminology because it's legit right but <laughs> I'm not just going to take you know everyone else's word like I, I just I can't live my life like that I'm not going to listen to every single person that tells me every single thing is a closed practice Right. When to me, it feels like a lot of these people are just having a total ego trip. And it's, yeah. It's and rampant. you know, it's like a trend now. It really is. Yeah. And you know, and I think about that, right. The, the, how prolific the closed practice um, terminology and social media campaign, I guess, mm. oh <laughs> about it Hashtag is closed practice. And, I sit here and I think, you know, this must be so confusing for people who have just discovered witchcraft because no they're thirsty for knowledge, but everywhere they turn, it's like, that's a closed practice. That's a closed practice. It's like an X, right? Like from, what is it? America's Got Talent. They're like, er, er, I can't go there. Er, no, er, don't do that. Yeah. And I mean, when I'm seeing on TikTok that people are thinking that herbalism is a closed practice. Something has gone terribly oh my wrong. God. Oh like, my Lord, mercy. My the Lord, girl who, mercy. <laughs> the girl who asked if herbalism was a closed practice, she made a response and she, it was hysterical because she said, are you literally asking me if fucking plants are a closed practice? It's a plant. <laughs> oh my God. But you know what's sad is that it was probably somebody new, right? Mm -hmm. That asked that. Like Right, because that's yeah. that's my point. Like everything oh, like you you try to open doors and every door is like nope. Yep. Move along. Close in your face. Like, yeah. You're like, shit, well, can I even touch this plant? Like, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> oh man. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. It's kind of like, I mean, I and this is just how I equate it to, it's like saying that you cannot dine on certain cuisines. Listen, everybody's eating everybody else's foods. All right. You know, right. The foods come yeah. from plants, you know, foods come from the earth. Like it's, it's not closed. All right. Like, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but no, I, I mean, a lot of that too, about certain plants being, um, closed off to others. And I think you actually posted something about that from an Ecuadorian lady about the Palo Santo. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that was another good point too, because so basically people, well, her friend was asking if Palo Santo was a closed practice and in Ecuador, Palo Santo is native to that country. Right. So right. she was really confused about why she would ask that. And basically it's because in large part, witch talk is specifically North American witch talk mm -hmm. was uh, saying how Palo Santo was part of a closed practice and it was endangered and you were not supposed to use it. And oh my God. so, so then she educated everyone about Palo Santo and how many species there are and how many are endangered and et cetera and et cetera. And at the end of the video, she says, assuming that everything that a latin american culture does is ritualistic is also racist and i was like yes mm. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, because I mean, spreading that kind of misinformation is even confusing the people that might even be a part of that practice, right? Like for that culture. Yeah. Right. It, it's a, it, is it an American thing or is everybody's doing this closed practice stuff? Like the talk. The oh no, it's not just an American thing. No, okay. no. Right. Everywhere. Oh, but I think, <laughs> but I think, um, yeah, but I think the friend must've gotten her information from a U.S. witchy talker yeah. or something. Yeah. I don't know. I saw that. Mm -hmm. So I feel like uh, my thing is I want to show respect to everyone. And I agree, right. should absolutely be aware and respectful of sacred practices within other cultures, traditions, too. Right. I agree. But we also need to point out that there is a huge difference in cultural appreciation and appropriation. And I think three quarters of the world does not understand the difference in these nope. concepts. Nope. And I think, yeah, and I think, you know, I think the moment you say something about a practice that you don't look like mm -hmm. that appropriation is automatically a label that's slapped onto you. Yeah. Which is it, it's <laughs> so for an example, cultural appreciation might be, you know, having a, Native American ancestor and appreciating their practice, right? As opposed to appropriation, which is someone that knows nothing about that practice that's running around wearing a, a headdress for the fun of it. Right. That to me is the difference, right? Like just an example. <laughs> exactly. No knowledge, no, you know, it's, yeah. I don't know if you agree with that, but. No, I agree. I definitely agree. And so, this go ahead. Is not, oh, and I just wanted to add, this is not a foreign concept, okay? Because in anthropology, when you go to a university or a college and you go to an anthropology class, they will teach you the difference between cultural appreciation and appropriation. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so this is that, not that, some- That might be a class for everyone to take. <laughs> yeah, this is not something I'm making up. Or pulling out of my ass like I actually no. went to class <laughs> I mean honestly I would even like to take that class just because I think it's an important topic and it should be free to everyone because people really need to learn this but anyway cultural anthropology 101 that's the class yeah. you need to take all right well I'd be getting down on that one all right so now we're going to go into specific practices and tools and talk about whether or not they are closed practices. And if they are closed practices, how we can respect that. So would you like to educate us on dream catchers? Okay. So dream catchers have been controversial as of late, uh, but always a little bit so. Mm -hmm. uh, so dream catchers get their origins from two different native nations in America that we collectively know of, which are the Ojibwe and the Lakota peoples. And I hate saying Lakota people because my pops has always told me that Lakota is a dialect and not the name of a nation, but that's a podcast for another time. But anyways, <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
These two nations each have a separate legend attached to the dream catcher. For the Ojibwe, long ago when the ancient world of the Ojibwe nation was strong, all clans were located on the, I can't even pronounce this island. They were on an island. <laughs> it, is island. Said, it. it is said that Spider Woman helped to bring the sun back to the people. So Spider Woman's job was to protect all of the babies from the evils of the world by weaving her web on their cradle board. And if anybody out there doesn't know what a cradle board is, it's essentially like a baby sling that they, that women used to wear Mm -hmm. native women used to wear the Ojibwe nation started to fulfill a prophecy that the people were to disperse to all four corners of the world. And so Spider Woman was going to have difficulty making the journey to all the cradle boards of all the new children, um, which she had always done to protect from evil because they were so far apart. So she asked all the mothers and grandmothers to weave webs of eight strings, such as her own webs. So the magical nets were to be made of loops of willow, which was their symbol for the tree of love or their symbol of love and sinew. They should be made into a circle to represent how the sun traveled across the sky each day. And the dream catcher was to be hung on the cradle board above the baby's head. Only good dreams would be allowed to filter through the feather that was centered in the middle of the net into the child. Bad dreams would stay in the net and disappear with the light of day. So that's the Ojibwe. I like that. Yeah. But the Lakota... I hate saying that, but anyways, (laughs) (laughs) the Lakota myth is a little bit different. So, I mean, it's similar, but different. So long ago when the world was young, an old Lakota spiritual leader was on a high mountain on the mountain. He had a vision and in his vision, Iktomi, the great trickster and teacher of wisdom appeared in the form of a spider. So Iktomi spoke to him in a sacred language only spiritual leaders of the Lakota could understand. As he spoke, he took the elder's willow hoop, which had feathers, horsehair, beads, and offerings on it, and began to spin a web. He spoke to the elder about the cycles of life and how we begin our lives as infants, and then we move to childhood and into adulthood. Finally, we get to old age where we must be taken care of as infants, thus completing the cycle. Um, So all the while the spider spoke, he continued to weave his web starting from the outside and working towards the center. When he finished speaking, he gave the Lakota elder the web and said, see the web is a perfect circle, but there is a hole in the center of the circle. Use the web to help yourself and your people to reach your goals and make use of your people's ideas, dreams, and visions. If you believe in the great spirit, the web will catch your good ideas and the bad ones will go through the hole. So, yeah so it's the same but reversed yeah i love it um so the lakota elder passed this vision on to his people and now the sioux use dream catchers as their web of life traditionally it's hung above their beds or in their homes to sift their dreams and visions good dreams are captured in the web and carried with them but the evil dreams escape through the through the hole in the center and are no longer part of them that's beautiful. So is, right. So this is the difference between right. the two. Okay. So, yeah, okay. so we know the stories. Yeah. So, so let's try to the line here. Yeah. 
So owning a dream catcher is an open practice. So, but where you get your dream catcher from is important. Um, I gave my husband one for his birthday one year, and it was made by a friend of mine who is Native American, Indian, indigenous. Um, It's also about five inches in diameter. So traditionally, dream catchers are small. So the ones you see, like, Mm -hmm. I don't know, in mass markets that have lace and whatever the hell else they're made of, that's not cool. Yes appropriation, I think. Um, so there was a woman who actually came and talked about dream catchers and the problematic origins of them, I guess, as far as popular culture and consumerist culture. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically everything that a dream catcher is made of is intentional. So Mm -hmm. all of the symbols, all of the materials, um, it's all on purpose, right? Right. So for example, I'm just going to read a little bit of this article where she details. um, Okay. So at that time, she passed the webbing technique down to the aunties, grandmothers, and the mothers to look after the webbing for the children and the young. The dream catchers were made of willow. Okay, so that's important. Right. Uh, the little opening at the center of the web allowed for good dreams to pass through and filter down through the feathers hanging from the dream catcher and into the dreaming minds of the children. It was another stage of life that a child went through. In constructing the dream catcher, she continued, significant was the number of points where the sinew was wrapped around the willow. In the original story, there were eight points for her eight legs. Still, others used seven points for the seven grandfathers or the seven prophecies. Some used five points for the five sky shapes. Some have used 13 as signifying the moons, and some used 28 for the lunar months. So it matters how many points you have on a dream catcher, right? Yeah. Okay. I'm going to have to look at mine. (laughs) As for the shape of the original dream catcher, it was made in a circle, a representation of the sun that travels across the earth, but it's not uncommon, but it's not uncommon to find them in a tear shape. The original dream catcher she added was between three and a half and five inches in diameter, any larger than this. And it loses its significance, its traditional value, or you could say the power of the dream catcher itself. Over time, things about the dream catcher have changed and things have been added to it. Noah mentions the significance of the three beads that were woven into the dream catcher. The three beads stand for our three fires, the Potawatomi, Ottawa, and Chippewa nations. So when I do crafts, I put three of them on my work. While the number of feathers attached to a dream catcher may vary, some craftspeople only use one to symbolize knowledge or wisdom. It's entirely up to you how many you add on, said Longboat. Just about everything you put on there has a significance depending on the person doing the webbing. But before picking any willow, one should make a tobacco or cloth offering to the spirit world. So... Yeah. So they're the way that they're made traditionally is really sacred, right? I, um, 
if I could cut in here and tell yeah. you that I actually, I do have one from Arizona, from Northern Arizona. I think it was called Oak Creek Canyon. Mm -hmm. um, it's a beautiful, beautiful place. I remember the air smelled like ever like pine or something. It was just beautiful. And anyway, there were, um, you know, Native, Native American, uh, they were on the side of the road, basically selling their wares. And I did purchase one from a man, a Native man. And it is probably just about five inches in diameter. It has three beads. I want to say maybe two or three feathers. I can't remember now. And it is very simple. It's not, you know, lacy or anything like that. And um, I, I like that. I'm glad that I'm hearing this story now because I honestly didn't know the full story behind it, but I just knew that it was powerful and he seemed like a really awesome person. So, <laughs> yeah. And you know that I lived in Arizona for several yes. years. Yeah. And when you visit the Grand Canyon, there are lots of uh, native indigenous craftspeople that sell their wares at exits along the highways. Yeah. They have like markets. It's not, um, I know that that paints a picture of like people by the side of the road, but it's not exactly like no, that. No, no. Yeah. This was more like on the trail that I was on. They were on. Does that make sense? Like you get out, you park your car and then you walk down the trail and then they're on the trail. <laughs> right. And one yeah. of the things that's a big, that they sell is dream catchers. Now, some people say, that buying from them is promoting a toxic capitalist system we've trapped them in and to consume their goods is to trap them further. But, um, you know mm. what? People got to eat. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I think if they're, uh, I think that's a little different than mass producing them. Right. Right. And if these people yeah. are making their living selling their authentic crafts to the general right. population, then I think, frankly, I think boycotting them is a shitty thing to do. <laughs> yeah. Because if, I mean, if they've been making these things for years and years and that's how their, that's their livelihood, you can't just say, oh, we're culturally appropriating. So we're not going to buy from them anymore. Okay. So now this person has to find something else to do to make money. <laughs> yeah. And you know, everyone's got to make a living period. I mean, it's just a yes. fact. Yep. Like you have to do something. Right. Um, or, I mean, or you can live off grid and all that, but I mean, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking Listen, about uh, that ain't easy. Okay. <laughs> exactly. I can barely grow some plants in my yard. All right. <laughs> so if you're buying a dream catcher from a native artisan or a native artisan store consigner or are gifted a dream catcher from a native american indigenous person this is not cultural appropriation it is cultural appreciation mm -hmm. um i do not condone buying knockoff mass-produced or ridiculous boho hippie versions of dream catchers i think that's i think that's no <laughs> like just don't do that and you know people who boycott indigenous artisans i really don't understand either because Amazon and, you know, all the big sellers, retail sellers, they're still going to make their shitty versions of that sacred thing. And mm -hmm. people who are, you know, ignorant to indigenous culture are going to buy them yeah. as like a fashion yeah. statement. Yep. So I feel like, you know, if you're boycotting the artisans, you're just doing Amazon a favor. Like, why would you do that? Yeah. I don't know. Good point. Yep. But um, 
you Mass know why? Because it's a conspiracy. Amazon is trying to take over the world. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> My husband would probably agree with you. <laughs> uh, well, um, I joke, but at the same time, you know. So <laughs> the, the, <laughs> the ones that you find mass produced by big retailers, those are what I consider bastardizations of a cultural item specifically to make money. There is no yeah. authenticity right. in that craft. Mm -hmm. And the meaning of the dream catcher has ceased to exist, right? Because it, they're so in. It don't buy your dream catcher from Ikea. Buy it from someone in Arizona who is actually indigenous. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. If you buy one of the mass-produced ones, I would say that that's absolutely a cultural appropriation. Yeah. Yeah. It, do, I, and I hope that we have shown the difference between the two. Yes, I think we have. Right. And one last thought on the dream catcher thing. If you yes. see somebody who is lighter skinned or doesn't look native to you, it is not your job to call them out. You know why? Because lots of light skinned people have significant native or indigenous heritage that you know nothing about. Mm -hmm. So true. no assumptions. Yep. And now we're going to dive into poppets. And I know this is something that you're passionate about. Yes. Yes. I'm so excited about this one. <laughs> I've been waiting for this moment. No, I'm just kidding. All right. Poppets. This was a topic that got me into quite a heated debate online as of recently. You Basically, heated? No. <laughs> I try to keep the heat like under wraps and just Alora has to hear it like through Facebook Messenger every day. Um, she likes to simmer. <laughs> I do. I do. Because I, you know, I try to keep it high vibing or whatever, but or, anyway. <laughs> Showing my true colors here. So anyway, I got in a debate with this woman online who said, who wanted to educate people that poppets are a part, are, are a part of the Southern conjure or hoodoo tradition and therefore are closed off to white people. This is literally what she said. So mm. while poppets also commonly referred to as doll babies and there's some other names for them, in Southern Conjure, they are a part of this tradition. Doll magic, um, as well as poppets, spans cultures worldwide. So we will start with the term poppet. It is English in origin and derives from the old English, English word puppet, which originally meant small child or referred to a doll. It oh, it means small even, child? Yeah. I can refer to kids as puppets. Puppet. Puppet. Yes. Okay, it's, go on. It's been used as a term of endearment, kind of like dear, sweetie, baby. The use of puppets as a magical tool is actually documented throughout Europe and dates back to ancient Celtic times, at least in the form of corn dollies as well as effigies. Corn hmm. dollies were traditionally made by our Celtic ancestors. A lot of the times on high holy days, but I'm sure they made them throughout the year for other reasons. But on the high holy days, like the solstices and things, they made them to honor the goddess or to symbolize the goddess as well as the harvest and some other themes that go along with that. In addition, in the Middle Ages, 
poppets were crafted of wax or clay and a person's image as a form of sympathetic magic. And when I'm saying this, I mean in the British Isles and England and Scotland, um, I'm sure in Ireland as well, probably in other places throughout Europe. I didn't go that far, but anyway, this is documented in the witch trials as far back as the 800s. Prior to the Middle Ages and elsewhere in the world, clay effigies, which would be like clay dolls of mm -hmm. gods and goddesses were made in ancient times as offerings to the gods. One of the oldest, probably a lot of people, I don't know if you would know it by the name, but they might see it and know the image. It's called the Venus of Willendorf. Oh, yes. That is a uh, prolific artifact that mm -hmm. you're, you get taught about in anthropology class. I'm sure. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah. And that's a doll, right? And, yes. you know, anyway. <laughs> it is. Uh, and in South America, this is just another example that's probably modern as well. There's also worry dolls. You ever seen those little dolls that they pray over. They're real tiny. Anyway, hmm. in the early modern era, we have evidence in the trial of Isabel Godey in Scotland that the core creod was made of clay and magically used to harm or what Isabel claimed to kill her enemies. So the core creod was, uh, basically it means clay body. So she crafted a doll out of clay and then, I don't, I don't remember if she added herbs or what have you to it, but and then basically did things to it to inflict pain, etc. The point here, and my whole point to this, is to do your research before you tell someone that they cannot use poppets because it's only of a specific closed practice, because that's it's simply not true. <laughs> right. You know, I, I I've made poppets before. I'm going to continue making poppets. I am not a hoodoo practitioner, and you know, and I respect that tradition. But I do have ancestors from Scotland and England and Ireland, all of whom, or many of whom, probably used poppet magic at one point or another. So I'm going to continue to use that. And the point is, like I said, don't just tell a whole, don't tell someone in the whole community and your little group that they cannot use poppets because you think or you heard from someone else that it's a closed practice before you actually did any real research. That's the bottom line. Okay. Yeah. And I'm off my pedestal <laughs> <laughs> for, for the moment. Um, <laughs> well, you know, I was listening to what you were saying and I thought to myself, this also goes back to what is prolific in mainstream witchcraft culture these days. Right. Mm -hmm. So you you see poppet magic coming out of southern conjure and hoodoo work right for sure because they yeah. use it a lot but yeah there's no denying that i don't deny that yeah right and even though so how, how do i say this um even though that's the case that doesn't mean that it solely exists or belongs to that practice because again lots of these things have long and complicated histories um and so many different practices can use the same tool in different ways. Yeah. Or even in similar ways. You know what I mean? Like it's, it, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the dolls are worldwide, right? So right. It, it depends on the way, the way in which you're using it. So you right. can't, you can't take a single tool, a single magical tool or item 
that is, you know, just, I mean, it's present worldwide. Like, I'm sure every continent has some form of doll that, that kids have used or whoever has used for centuries, right? You can't just say, I'm sorry, you cannot use dolls. I need you know. to. Okay. So the next thing we're going to talk about is freezer spells. And this uh-huh. is news to me because I haven't heard this one yet. I oh, yeah, educate me because I'm like, what? <laughs> yes, <laughs> Who is closing is off my freezer? <laughs> yes. A lot. That, it's a big, it's a trend right now too. So there's a lot of people saying freezer spells are closed practice and sh- again, should only be used by those of the hoodoo tradition. Again, I am in complete respect of that tradition. I am not of that tradition, and I am not trying to encroach on it at all. But I am sorry, one person, tradition, whatever, cannot claim a common household appliance as a closed practice. This to me would be like saying one tradition uses the stove to boil potions, so therefore another cannot, or if you're not a part of that tradition, you cannot use your stove in your practice. The point, and like I said with the poppets, it's in how you use that appliance that makes the difference. So (laughs) I want to talk about, and I know this sounds like I'm going far off on a tangent here, but there's a point to this. First, let's talk about the history of freezers. So the preliminary freezer before the electric freezer was the icebox. The icebox was invented by a farmer in 1802. It was a compact, non-mechanical refrigerator that was used to store your cold items, right? I think they had like large blocks of ice that people would deliver on a truck. And anyway, so this was in use during the time of slavery and the Civil War in the U.S. So to me, there's no doubt in my mind that people of African origin that were slaves at the time did use the icebox in their workings. There's no denying that. Now, with the invention of the mechanical freezer in the 1940s, it was then mass produced after World War II and then obviously called the freezer. It was no longer the icebox as a freezer. So, and again, there's no doubt in my mind that conjurers in the South were probably using their icebox and freezer for legal and justice workings, etc. They used what they had. And if you were in the kitchen all day long, you'd use what was in the kitchen in your magical workings too. I am in the kitchen a lot. So I'm going to use what's in my kitchen to make my magic, right? So where is the line with freezer spells? Can folks outside of the hoodoo tradition use their freezer and refrigerator in their magical endeavors? I believe yes. I think, so here's why and how, in my opinion and how I see it. The refrigerator and the freezer are, again, common household appliances that align with the element of water. They give us the accessibility to ice and snow in one form or another that our European ancestors had through nature Um, Especially in the northern European countries, they had more access to snow and ice, obviously, during the winter months and sometimes longer. We have folklore and practices from Norway, England, Scotland, all over Scandinavia that use ice, hail, and snow. The runes hagalas, meaning hail, and isa, meaning ice, or to freeze or pause, solidify our ancestors' reverence of these elements. It's truly about doing your research. Again, I can't say that enough and making sure you're doing your own thing rather than encroaching on another tradition's practices. So for example, for me, I wouldn't use uh, a petition in the way that hoodoo practitioners use it and call on the spirits of hoodoo plus use their traditional herbs in my freezer spell. But I may 
put a photo in a Ziploc bag, use my own homegrown herbs and ancestors herbs or, you know, whatever I have and freeze it, let's say with the rune Isa marked on the top of it. And I hope that that paints a difference. <laughs> yeah, I had no idea that freezer spells were controversial. Oh, um, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm just like, I'm just sitting here in awe because freezer spells are one of the first workings that I learned how to do. And there was never any controversy about it. Like, you know what I yeah. mean? Like it never, nobody ever Ugh. said anything. No. I feel like it, there didn't used to be a lot of controversy. It's, it's a trend. I'm telling you, it's people want to, it's, it's naysayers. Yeah. It's like any little and thing I, that these people can find. Yeah. And I'm also to, thinking too, when you, yeah. when you, when you brought up natural elements and ice and snow and all that, particularly if you live in a hot climate, you're not going to get ice and snow naturally. Like there's no and That's me, dude. I don't, I don't get it naturally at all ever. <laughs> yeah. I don't get no ice or snow people. So if I want to use my freezer, my refrigerator, you know, in association with the runes that represent these elements, uh, I'm, so, I'm sorry, I'm going to. <laughs> Unless anybody out there has a spell to make ice, like that would be cool. Like how, sure. tell me how to do it without a freezer. <laughs> right. But it, it, oh, no, they don't, Lord. So. Like, I just have no words for that. Cause I'm I, like, I said, mm -hmm. I mean, it was one of it's the first like saying fire has been used by a specific tradition. You cannot use fire. Dude. What? <laughs> right. Like, <laughs> um, what? I don't, I'm not, mm. I'm not following you here. I'm not getting it. Just as, it's the same thing as you saying you can't use doll magic. Truly. Every house uh, with a child probably has a doll at some, you know what I'm saying? Like it's, it's, you can't, uh, anyway. <laughs> All right. So let's get on to another one that just grinds my gears. <laughs> uh, yeah. Smudging. Yeah, I know. I know. I know. So. And in the theme of our podcast, maybe I should say saning or smoke cleansing or. Yeah. I usually use smoke cleansing because it's just the easiest. That's, so do I. <laughs> just to put it out there, I don't use the yeah. word smudge. I use smoke cleanse. And also, I come up with my own terminology because I like to say hot box. <laughs> when I refer to smoke cleansing, because I'm like, I'm about to hot box this house. Y'all better get out. That's hilarious. Good Dutch oven the house. <laughs> Ew. God. Oh, man. Okay. Oh, no. I All shouldn't right. use that because I'm not Dutch, right? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> what? I can't use that terminology because I'm not Dutch. I just snorted. You snorted. <laughs> oh man, it's oh, so hot see. here right now. But anyway, oh, send that oh. my way. It's cold here. Oh, oh Lord. Anyway, all right. So let's get on to smudging. Okay. 
probably the hottest topic we can cover right now, or one of them at least. There is a huge booming trend of doing something called smudging in the online community, even with people who aren't even necessarily like magical. They just, I don't know, it's a big trend. So it basically entails burning an herb bundle, if you're not aware for our listeners, and using the smoke to cleanse the air of your space or even of your own aura. Right. The term smudging has been claimed as a close practice to the indigenous folks of the Americas or North America, what have you. It refers to a specific ceremonial practice of theirs, as I've been told. It's also claimed that white sage should not be used either. So for this reason, and because I was told this by an indigenous person, I no longer use the word smudging in my practice. However, I have not stopped using an herb bundle or the method of smoke cleansing in my practice. Why? Because burning herbs, incenses, and plant matter to purify a space spans cultures and is also a part of my heritage traditions. Look, let's just be honest. It's a part of everyone's heritage because I don't think that there's a culture out there that didn't use some sort of smoke cleansing. Right. Exactly. And for example, I mean, in ancient Egypt, they were burning resins, frankincense and myrrh, and their sacred incense, kaifi. I'm saying that right, dates back thousands of years. And I think you said this already, but in Scotland, the term saining is often used to describe uh, a purifying and blessing of a space. They use either blessed water or, again, smoldering herb matter like juniper. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for me, and this is just for me, and we touched a little bit on the Palo Santo thing, but I, I actually don't use white sage any longer as I have done my research on this and it is being uh, mass, not mass produced, but gathered. There, uh, Mountain Rose Herbs actually just did a long article on this about the small area that, not, I mean, it's not small, but it's an area that it comes from right in the Southwest area of the US. And I think it was a year or two ago, there was a few people arrested because they were caught gathering 400 pounds of white sage off of um, closed land, basically, mm. native land. So for me, and you know, th- now there are actually some organic farms out there that are producing it for, you know, uh, mass produce, if you want to call it that. And, and that's fine. But you just, the pro- problem is for me, I don't know where it's coming from. And I probably, if you buy it from Mountain Reserves, like they were saying, they do get it from the specific organic farmer. You know, it's not being, no one's going out illegally harvesting it, that kind of thing. Anyway, to the point, I grow my own herbs <laughs> so far, but I've had issues with that this year. But anyway, rosemary, super easy to grow. It's pest resistant. You know, you can grow it in a sunny windowsill, blah, blah, blah. Harvest it, bundle it for your own personal use and... To me, I'm, you know, that's just what I do, but anywho. So I think the moral of the story here or the takeaway is the terminology of smudging. Right. Is, I can't say a closed practice, but don't use it if just don't it's not use it. part of your, yeah. I mean, if, right. if it's not part of your culture. Yeah. Um, there are, but the practice of smoke cleansing, like I said, has, it pretty much permeates every culture out there. So just because that particular 
uh, term, right? Yeah. That particular, I guess, manner of smoke cleansing belongs to a particular culture doesn't mean that all smoke cleansing does and doesn't mean that you can't do it your way. Correct. Yes. Okay. Got All that. right. We've, we've talked through that enough. So why don't you tell us about another tricky one called the tribe? <laughs> okay. So, all right. So the word tribe is pretty tricky because so back in the day in the Roman days, tribe was used to denote a group of citizens in Rome. Now, anthropologically, the term has lost favor as correct terminology in the latter part of the 20th century because some anthropologists said it was too vague of a term and others rejected it due to its popularity being tied with colonialism, racist, uh, racial inferiority, and barbarianism, which is funny because I started thinking about how we refer to ancient peoples from Celtic and Germanic tribes as tribal people. Mm-hmm. Then this made me think harder, right? Uh And the word tribe really does simplify a really complex social system based on kinship bonds. So also the fact that the Romans invaded Europe and were probably the first to use the word in regard to other groups of people, which makes me think it was definitely a slur because, you know, the Romans were assholes. We all know this. Well, they were oh, like every, every that are, have Roman ancestors. <laughs> Look, I love y'all Roman people, but in history, in history, throughout history, Romans were not nice to That's other peoples. They just yeah. weren't. That is true. Um, all about the conquering baby, you know? <laughs> right. Exactly. So they were, co- they were colonialism before there was colonialism. That's true. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so the word, so the word tribe is also a term that's coined by the U.S. federal government, which I did not know this, as a classification system for the indigenous people. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> um, <laughs> they're also assholes. Um, mm-hmm. However. <laughs> Today, we can more respectfully refer to groups of indigenous peoples as nations or peoples. So how do we distinguish the Sioux Nation from the different groups that make it up? I just call them by their names without using tribe after them as a designation. So for example, my pops is from the Ogallala Lakota Sioux. And that's what I say. Like, I don't say tribe. Like, right. It's like he's Ogallala Lakota Sioux. Yeah. Um, all of that said, I don't think this is a closed practice. I think this is a word we should all be trying to avoid or substitute within our own vocabulary, right? Because tribe is not a practice. It's just a term better left alone. Um, so instead of tribe, you can use words like clan, nation, people, band. Um, there are heaps of other terms out there, but yeah, this, you know, people, it didn't, the, the term tribe did not originate with the U.S. indigenous people. Um, it, 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 right. it was far before, right? So it was the Romans first used it to, as a slur to yeah. denote the peoples they conquered. Essentially. And you know what? I, I'll be 
fully humble here and tell everyone that I have used the word tribe many times. But since being educated on this with from Alora, from your research and everything, it makes total sense to me why I don't want to use it anymore to refer to any group of people because it because the initial meaning of the word was a slur, right? Right. It was a negative connotation in its original form. So, and you'll still find probably very old articles that I've written that might say the word, but if I come across them, then I will edit them and correct them. I will try my best not to use this word anymore. And I think, you know, I mean, I think that's what everyone should do, right? As long as you've done your research or someone has educated you on this word or this thing, you know, then make adjustments, right? Right, exactly. And I think that this is a takeaway for everyone that we're allowed to change our minds about something upon Mm -hmm. gaining new information. Yes. Right. Right. And yeah, so definitely, you know, there's a lot of, it's funny and this doesn't really have much to do with the closed practice, but I'll just say that there, there are a lot of words funny enough in the English language and probably other languages that have, (laughs) that we use all the time that you wouldn't even think has a negative origin. Right. Break them down. Like if you get into etymology, like the root of words, you're like, wait, what? Why does this mean the opposite (laughs) of how I'm using it? You know? Um, So it's kind of funny. I I don't know. I'm a word. We've said we're both word nerds. So you start looking at the root of words or, you know, where they can't come from. And it's pretty eye opening. But anyway. All right. Runes. Are runes a closed practice? Mm. Mm. All right. No, they're not a closed practice. However, I feel like it's something that we should talk about. And we did talk about this a little bit in the runes podcast that we did, but if we're going to talk about people appropriating other magical traditions, we should bring up the fact that everyone and their moms (laughs) seem to be drawn (laughs) to the runes lately. I feel like just like so just as I shouldn't cherry pick from closed practices, I also believe every magical custom should be researched to the fullest and the individual practitioner should understand where these ancient things, tools, etc. originate. The runes right. are not just a modern system of divination. They're not just a bag of stones to cast and read and have just one meaning per rune. They're ancient, they hold very sacred, even mysterious meanings that most people don't take the time to truly understand. And it just goes so deep, I don't know. But the, the okay, so not to mention the gods, their very essence is infused into the runes. And most of those gods, I, I wanna say, I don't wanna say most of the time, but from what I've, I'm seeing, a 75% of the time, those gods are not even being recognized. So they're Mm. being frequently forgotten or ignored when people kind of pick up the runes. And let's just say it's in a witchcraft book, right? A modern witchcraft book. And there's a quick three pages. Here's the runes. Here's what they mean. You know, here's how you cast them. That's it. Right. But you're not even going into where they come from. What, what, you know, the, like the rune Ingwaz comes from, you know, it's the god 
ing his essence is infused like that's it's a representation of him you know on sues all these runes that mean these different gods forgetting all those things they're just going it's a symbol and i'm going to use it as divination that to right, me is right. frustrating you know um and i think you know if you really want a system of runes that literally anyone can use with no real connection that i know to ancient deities as we said before go with the 13 witches runes it's basically a system that you can use for divination how you want to and uh, the origins are likely modern so <laughs> otherwise mm. you should be it, it's a very sacred process it's a uh, it's just a whole it, it's like a lifetime right of learning the runes similar to how you feel about the tarot right, right exactly. exactly but i'm sad we didn't get to actually publish that or release that podcast but we will we will um so go ahead oh no i was just gonna add to that yeah i feel the same way about tarot in that i feel like there's so much less reverence for it as a tool and an art and a sacred practice Mm -hmm. and yeah i just wish there was more i don't know seriousness around it and that people realized that, you know, this, the, there are certain things within the metaphysical world and the witchcraft world that are callings, at least in my opinion. Absolutely. And I think runes like is one of those lifelong. things. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're not just picking it up to make a couple bucks and then discard it, you know? Right. I, mean, I do that all the time, but I'm just saying it's it's it should be deeper than that, and it is. So right. I mean, yeah. What about head wrapping? Because I've seen this asked before too, and I don't. I'd never. I don't do head wrapping, but I'm curious about it too. Okay. So head wrapping has existed for eons across cultures for various different reasons, from cultural to religious, and back again. Pagans, regardless of race, have been using veiling techniques, i.e. head coverings, since ancient Rome and Greece and probably even before that. So whenever you see a photo of, this is actually from an article, and it says, whenever you see a photo of the classic Halloween witch, you see her wear a black pointy hat. Have you ever thought deeply into why? Veiling has probably been around longer than you realize when concerning polytheism. In ancient Roman Greece, it was quite popular. Even today in Roman polytheism, an adoratio requires a head covering or veil of any sort, and the same goes for rituals. Um, So there are many ways to wrap your head or veil. Often because of the heat, hymnations were popular, similar to the Roman tunica or toga, but many pictures and art of the time showed women and men alike continuing to wrap the fabric all the way up around their head. Mm-hmm. I know that head covering is super controversial for non-POC because head wrapping hasn't been always a positive experience for POC. Mm-hmm. Um, so with that in mind, however, I think when someone with light colored skin wears a head wrap, once again, people automatically make ex- assumptions about their heritage and religion and culture. And I would say that head wrapping is in no way a closed practice. It exists across time, space, 
and cultures and should not be judged on sight because you have no idea that person's ethnicity, heritage, or religious beliefs. Mm-hmm. And also, I would also say if you are wrapping your head, I feel like it should absolutely be for a religious purpose because yeah. veiling is very sacred mm-hmm. and wrapping is very sacred. Um, so for instance, if you are not spiritual or religious or follow a particular path and you are not of a particular culture that has, um, that head wraps on a regular basis and you just do it as a fashion statement. I think that's shitty. (laughs) Um, and there are some musicians that have done it and I, I agree with you. It is shitty. Like this is a fashionable, whatever. (laughs) Right. Exactly. That's how I feel about it. I mean, yeah, we could get like head, head coverings and head wrapping has such a deep history and I, we could do a whole podcast just on that, mm-hmm. um, on the many different ways they've been used and why they're so controversial for non POC to wear them. But this is not the podcast for that. Yeah. But I will say, um, that, the in wrapping your head, it is not a close practice, but you should be doing it for the right reasons. Agreed. Thousand percent. <laughs> I hope I made that digestible. <laughs> you did. I think you did. Yay! What about, what about <laughs> face painting? And maybe we're not oh, talking about, Lord. you know, like fest or fair, like at the county fair. No, 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 no. So we're actually talking about people who are ritualistically painting their face. Okay. Um, So before we even get into anything, the answer to this is it's definitely not (laughs) close practice. (laughs) Uh, Face and body painting, because I think people get upset because they believe that it is an appropriation upon native indigenous cultures mm-hmm. from native America to the, the Mary to, uh, you know, Polynesian indigenous all over. Right. Right. So face and body painting and adornment and adornment. So tattoos, jewelry, face painting, body painting is another tradition that transcends time and cultures. From the indigenous Americans to African nations to the Picts of Scotland. And funny enough, the word picked means painted people, mm-hmm. uh, probably referring to the Pictish custom of either tattooing their bodies or embellishing themselves with war paint. Mm-hmm. And if anyone listening has ever seen Braveheart, okay, the Celtic peoples weren't short on body adornment. Nope. <laughs> like they, I mean, like I said, this spans cultures. So you'll see it in Viking culture, in Celtic culture, in Mm -hmm. African culture. It exists everywhere. Yes. So restricting this practice to me would be the same as telling everyone in today's society that you're no longer allowed to get tattoos because you just can't. (laughs) And I, I, I just think that this particular assumption that, that, face painting is a closed practice is just downright ludicrous to me 
honestly. Like I, I cannot agree. wrap my head around it. Yeah. Now, I now yeah. I will say if you are purposefully mimicking a particular nation's mm-hmm. I was just about to say designs, that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. that's a different story. So don't do that because then you're just being an asshole. <laughs> what about, don't do that. What about people that get, oh, oh, I hope I don't, this, anyway, I'm going to ask it anyway. What about people that get like Polynesian style tattoos that don't actually know anything about Polynesian tattoos? <laughs> okay. So what do you like, are we talking style or are we talking specific tattoo? I don't know. I, I don't know. I just. <laughs> okay. So I can enlighten you Style, on this actually. Because I feel like the Celtic tattoos were like a really popular thing and people just got them on their bodies and they didn't even know what the hell they were getting on their bodies, you know? Yeah. Well, I feel like, <laughs> I, feel, I do feel like, okay, let me back up. So, oh, oh, or like the Japanese writing or Chinese writing that people were getting, they're like, it means peace. And it actually means something like, you know, rock. Yeah. And I'll just, ta- I'll just tell you that when I was 19 and stupid, um, I did get a Sorry. Chinese character on my shoulder <laughs> and it, boil- it boils down to young and stupid, um, and ignorant uh, because I definitely was not, you know, I wasn't, you know, you're young and dumb. You're not thinking about anything. You're just like, yeah, this is fun. I love you. Don't be mad. Okay. (laughs) But let me back up because when I I have some dumb tattoos on my body, like don't listen, I get it. (laughs) But let me back up because when I did go to college, I, and I went through the anthropology department one of my professors is the world's foremost expert on ancient tattooing. Like he is the guy that they call when they need tattoos looked at. He's the guy that he's the guy that they called, uh, when Otzi, the ice man was discovered. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So, so that being said, (laughs) yeah, I learned from him that when it comes to like, ancient Polynesian tattoos in particular, um, and even even some of the more ancient cultures, their tattooing was specific to, and even this goes for North American indigenous as well. Their tattoos were information because back then you didn't have you know, like a social security system or a government record or anything like that. All you had was tattoos and that's how they recorded their life. Essentially. Yep. You had a particular tattoo that designated your family, your status in that family, your achievements. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like this was all, I mean, and it may not look like anything to you because it's just a design, but they could tell just by looking at somebody from across the way, okay, this person has been in X number of wars. They come from this particular family. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is their status. This is how many lands they own, et cetera, et cetera. So 
with my story about being young and stupid, um, people getting <laughs> ancient tattooing done on their bodies with no history or background as to those particular designs, I think just shows highlights their stupidity. <laughs> I uh, mean, that's what it comes I down feel bad to. That I call that out, and then you were like, "But I had one," so I, I apologize. But why do you feel bad? I don't know, but you know. <sighs> There was a story going around too about, you know, that Scythian, I think she was a priestess that they found in a bog or whatever. It was a mummy that has all the tattoos. It's a pretty famous one. It's got the blue mm -hmm. markings of like the horse and all that stuff. Anyway, there was a big trend going around about it. Like some people were actually getting those tattoos done. Mm -hmm. And then other people were like hating on them. You know, they're like, oh yeah, you probably just like tattooed some ancient God on your arm and you don't even know who you put on your arm and you'd like invited them to control your life or whatever. They're gonna, and, and it was just kind of funny because other people were responding going, well, you know what? <laughs> the God of a bog mummy would probably be better at running my life than I am. So tattoo away. <laughs> right. Well, oh, funny. like, like I said, though, I think the only thing that it says about someone is that, you know, you were not educated when you got that. You're a an idiot. Because, <laughs> like, hey, so, I got no problem admitting that I was, you know, 19 and stupid. So. Uh, so confession, I got a bat tattoo on my hip when I was 19 in a garage. All right. <laughs> I'm going to talk about stupid tattoos. I'm lucky that I'm still healthy, but anyway. <laughs> God, have you been tested for hepatitis? Oh, for sure. Yeah. I'm a nerd. Um, I've had babies. All that's been ran. <laughs> I'm kidding. Luckily. <laughs> but, but also another thing about ancient tattoos um, and what they've, they have not proven it. They can only hypothesize, but when with Otzi in particular, and they found out that all the places where he had tattoos, because he had quite a few, I think he had, I, I don't even know how many he had, but he had a lot. And everywhere that there was a tattoo, there was an injury of some sort or arthritis or something of that nature. And so yeah. that being said, that my professor was telling us that it is possible that they use tattoos as a medicinal uh, therapy because they could have w within the tattoo paint, essentially, they could have mixed herbs in that, that were analgesic. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So there's lots of reasons for ancient tattoos that are not non important. Yeah. Um, but like, but yeah, I mean, look, Unless you have an excuse, like you're young and stupid. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. If, if you're older and you've had experience in the world, I mean, and I mean, even hopefully you avoid the young and stupid period. Um, and I think a lot of society will these days because it's a lot different than when we grew up. Yeah. But always do your research as far as, you know, if you're even contemplating getting a particular style of tattoo, you know, you need to look into the history of that, where it comes from, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I, I 
and this is just because we're sharing on Amir as well. <laughs> I, <laughs> I once dated a guy who had, oh my gosh, teardrop tattoos on his face. And I didn't know um, what it was no. meant. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, he was quite nice to me. But anyway, <laughs> I didn't find that out till afterwards. Someone was like, do you know what that means? I was like, I don't know. They're like, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> it didn't last long, thankfully. But anyway. Oh my gosh. The secrets are coming out, people. Yeah. Only on the mirror as well. <laughs> Only on Mimir as well. Will you hear <laughs> the secrets? All right. All right. I'll wrap it up then. All right. Sounds good. So, folks, we welcome you to join our high-vibing Facebook group, Otherworldly Oracle Facebook group. Also, become a member of both of our websites, otherworldlyoracle.com, as well as Alora's website at alorarain.com for more exclusive content. We want to do another shout out to all of our oracles for joining us here, whether you're new or returning, whether you've listened to our other podcasts or this is your first, we welcome you. Share the Mirrors Well webpage to recruit your witchy friends into our mystical hour. And be sure to keep an eye out for future upcoming episodes as we have a lot more we would like to debate and release secrets on. (laughs) (laughs) And remember, despite our sweet reputation, we really have the hearts of men on our altars that we keep in jars.